Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll-Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. Hi, Cara. Hi, Vanessa. Happy, Happy New, New Year. Year. <laughs> Jinx, <laughs> buy me a Coke. How does it go? Jinx, buy me a Coke, inky dinky down the toilet sinky. Did you ever do that? I feel like we're supposed to be doing hand slaps. Right? It's like that and that and anyways. Yeah, our listeners totally know that and that <laughs> means. <laughs> Brian, please make that a video on Instagram so anyone who follows us on Instagram can at least see my, my, my Wait, hand movement. ready? High five. Um, oh, that's funny. <laughs> I went forward. You went to the side. Um, by the way, Ozzy, my 12-year-old, taught me a new handshake. And he was like, so that way, when I see you in front of my friends, they'll think you're cool because you know how to do the handshake. And I was like, dude, nothing about me is cool. So your friends are never, ever going to think that is I the case. I can't believe they didn't already think you were cool. Vanessa. Oh, yeah. Although apparently one of his friends played... <laughs> Our TikTok where I'm say penis, penis, penis at the very beginning, like over and over again on the bus the other day. So that was awesome for my children. (laughs) But we're not talking about my children and we're not talking about your children. We are talking about what do we do? This is a tough one and it comes up a lot. What do we do if we as adults, parents, counselors, coaches, teachers, caregivers know something concerning or important about another kid 
and feel a responsibility to tell someone about it or address it or help them out. And I think, Car, it makes sense to do this with like different buckets of issues that might come up because I think we would make different recommendations depending on what the bucket is. Yes. And let's start with the sort of first biggest, scariest buckets of self-harm or harm to others. So let's just take that huge category of if a child, frankly, if anyone does or says something that suggests that they are going to harm themselves or someone else, it must be reported and it must be reported to someone who can do something about it. So for instance, if there is a threat of gun violence at a public institution, a school, wherever, and that's something that another person sees or hears about or reads about, that should be reported to the police. Like, I I just want to be really careful to sort of lay out that is not what we are in the weeds about on this podcast, because that is a very black and white, clear issue um, if there is concern and self-harm as well. So if, and in this context of this podcast, if a child threatens self-harm, that must be reported. It must be reported to someone who can help the child. And there are people who are actually what we call mandatory reporters. And, you know, it's important to understand who those people are. Those are people, and I'm just gonna just gonna read for a second the definition of a sort of mandatory reporter from childwelfare.gov, which is the website source where I pulled this. So there are 47 states, the District of Columbia and a series of other territories that require the following people to be mandatory reporters of, and we'll get into what they have to report in a second, but social workers, teachers, principals, other school personnel, physicians, nurses, other healthcare workers, counselors, therapists, and other mental health professionals, child care providers, meaning providers of childcare in facilities, medical examiners, coroners, law enforcement officers. These are all mandatory reporters. And then the following is a list of people who are mandated to report by some states, commercial film or uh, photograph processors. So if someone is processing a Mm -hmm. photograph and they see something, computer technicians, substance abuse counselors, probation or parole officers, directors, employees, and volunteers at entities that provide organized activities for children such as camps, day camps, youth centers, and rec centers, domestic violence workers, animal control or humane officers, court-appointed special advocates, members of the clergy, and faculty administrators, athletic staff, or other employees and volunteers at institutions of higher learning, including public and private colleges and universities, vocational and technical schools. So that's a very long list of people who are considered mandatory reporters. And these are mandatory reports of cases of suspected abuse and neglect. Okay, so we can take that whole bucket off the table because that is what it is. And I would say that one of the things that sex and health educators have told us on many occasions, and Kara, you've experienced this firsthand, and many of the educators that we work with at Dynamo Girl 
often in the process of educating kids about health and sex ed, they will come to an adult in the room or ask a question that is related to their own personal safety. And they are coming to that adult with personal challenges that relate to their safety, whether it has to do with abuse or assault. And it's a bizarre thing to say, but one of the benefits of educating kids on these topics, right? We always say, oh, it keeps them safe if they can name their body parts, but it also says to them, this is an adult who I can safely come to with my own fears, challenges, and lack of sense of safety. This is a sidebar, but it's another, yet another reason why it's really important that kids have trusted adults who are educating them on this stuff. In the world of pediatrics, we are trained to tell teenagers when we're in the room one-on-one with kids. So there's that magical age. It's different in each dynamic, but there's a magical age at which the parent gets kicked out of the room, right? And most pediatricians, when they start that one-to-one visit, will say, anything you say to me in this room is just between you and me, except if there is a risk that, you know, if you're sharing with me that you're going to hurt yourself or someone else or you are being hurt. That is, you know, sort of always the banner headline before the conversation starts because you want to define what confidentiality looks like in that room. Kids don't understand the concept of confidentiality. Often they don't understand the concept of confidentiality. And I think that's actually a nice way to segue into the more gray areas. So not the mandatory reporter areas, not the folks the educators and the therapists and the doctors and all that long list of people that Cara went through. But in the gray areas, one thing that kids I've come to realize don't really understand is the concept of confidentiality. One of the ways I like to prepare my kids for that doctor's appointment is to say, if it's not the fifth time they're having a time alone with the pediatrician, I'll say, hey, your doctor's going to have some time alone with you. And what you say is actually totally private between you and the doctor unless you share something that is concerning about your safety, your mental or physical well-being. If they're concerned about you being harmed, then they may say something to me. But other than that... Thank you for doing that. I mean, all parents really, if all the adults and kids' lives did that, it would really help because what it does is it it's just, you know, it's another piece of straw in the haystack. It's it's another voice explaining what confidentiality is. And sometimes, you know, sometimes people need to hear things three, four, five times in different ways from different people. And I also realize that my kids, I mean, I, I do that out of lived experiences, which is that my kids didn't realize that. And so I don't think they were being as open or honest, or I don't want to call it dishonest, but like as forthright with their pediatrician because they thought the pediatrician was going to turn around and tell me. And I would rather they not tell me and my kid have an open and honest conversation with another trusted adult. And so I realized, oh, I need to really spell this out for them, which is what I now do. If you listen to enough of our episodes, you'll hear us preach the importance of air, particularly down there. Airing out body parts reduces sweatiness, stinkiness, and skin irritation. And it feels amazing to air it all out after a long day in tight, sweaty clothes. Which is why we created the Oom Short. Super soft, lightweight, with wide legs and a low crotch. All help air flow. 
designed for all genders in all sizes, literally down to kids extra small and up to men's extra large. Everyone who wears them tells us they've never been so comfy. Get your shorts at myoomla.com. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven. That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors Ready to Eat Meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our Factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Cara, my kids love Magic Spoon cereal. And even though it's cereal, they actually love it as a homework snack. The variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And fruity is the favorite flavor in my house. Now, this pack has zero grams of sugar, between 13 and 14 grams of protein, and between four and five grams of net carbs per serving. It's made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and it's high in protein, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So a great choice, Vanessa. 
You can go to magicspoon.com slash puberty to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our, you guessed it, promo code puberty at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident you're going to love their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. They do not want you to send their cereal back to them. Try a bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash puberty and use the code puberty to save $5. Now here's, let's go to the super gray zone, right? So the super gray zone is you have information about another kid. So maybe you as a parent have information about one of your kid's friends. Maybe you as a coach have information about one of your players. You as a teacher have information about one of your students. But you have information and it doesn't fall into the category of mandatory reporting. It's not someone who wants to harm themselves. It's not someone who wants to harm someone else. It's not someone who's being abused. It is a piece of information that feels like it needs follow-up, but it's not super, super crystal clear that that information must be shared. And let's start with the scenario, Vanessa, that you are getting that information from another kid, that the kid has come to you and said, Vanessa... I can't hold this information anymore. You know, this happened. This person, uh, maybe this person shoplifted. Maybe this person is thinking about having sex. Maybe this person, right? I, I don't know. We can come up with a whole series of scenarios. Maybe this person is restricting their eating and has body image issues. But it's, you know, hey, Vanessa, I have this information about this kid and I want to dump it on you and get rid of it because it's just too heavy. I don't know what to do with it. They're not even necessarily coming to you to find out what to do. They're just like right. passing. So help walk us through as the adult, how do you manage a scenario like that? So with everything else with kids, when they share something with us, we want to validate the fact that they shared it with us, right? So the first thing is, thank you so much for trusting me with this information it must feel like a really heavy burden to carry knowing that about your friend, right? And sometimes, depending on what it is, that may be all they need, right? It may not be a situation where there's anything we can or should do except to be a recipient of some heavy information. Because what feels like heavy information sometimes to kids may be what we understand to be a normal course of development and growing up, right? Like maybe it's they kiss someone for the first time and the kid is surprised because they're not developmentally at the stage where they're interested in being physical with somebody. Or or maybe, maybe they're they're planning to cheat on a test, which you could step in and do something as the adult, but maybe you don't. Maybe you just take the teachable moment for the kid who's coming to talk to you. Right. And if that is the case, right? If your kid says, ugh, you know, I just found out so-and-so is planning on making out with another person at a party on Saturday night. Or I just found out someone stole a test from their older sibling and is going to use it, right? At that point, our only job is to check in with the kid who's telling us and say, you got it. Mm-hmm. How does that make you feel? Or yeah. what do you think about that? Or is that something you've ever thought about doing? Or, 
And so in that moment, it's just about getting curious with the kid and like giving them an opportunity because they're coming to you for a reason. They wanted to share the information. It feels burdensome. And also maybe they're trying to figure out how to process this new phenomenon. And these two examples are good bookend examples because the cheating on a test one, they know it's wrong and they're coming to just sort of use you as a verbal backboard. They want to tell someone, they want to say, I know it's wrong. I would never do it. I didn't want to judge the person, but I'm just like, I got to get it out there. And I know it's wrong. And no, I would never do it. That might be your job as the adult is just to receive that information. Whereas the planning on making out with another kid, not a bad thing in that, you know, not a cheating scenario. It's a, it's, it's just maybe the kid who's coming and talking to you isn't ready yet. And they do want to process their feelings about it, or they do have judgments about it that they're trying to just air out with you and Maybe they are going to end that session of venting with a question for you. So this is a good example of it can go any number of ways depending upon what they're sharing. But sometimes, as you said, it's just a matter of them sharing and then they can be done. And there's no ball that you have to run with as the adult. And as a reminder, this is a warm-up often. Now, we're not getting into the heavy stuff where there is something that needs to be done for the safety of a child. This is warm-up, right? So... If we are able to sit and listen and potentially respond without judgment, being an open-minded resource for them, that means, God willing, that the next time the next thing comes up that's heavier, bigger, harder, that they know, okay, so my grown-up didn't freak out when I told them about the making out or the cheating on the test. So maybe they're going to be cool if I mention to them about a drug that my friend tried or that my friend is being pressured to have sex with someone they don't want to have sex with, right? So as the stakes get higher, we have proven ourselves to be a trustworthy resource. Okay, such a great comment because it begs the following question. Then do I have to hold their confidence on everything in order to get more confidence as the, you know, bigger kids, bigger problems, bigger questions? Right. You know, you and I both know what the answer is, which is, of course, no. And you can explain this to a kid. This is something that we can just keep between ourselves. Feels like you just came to me to ask this question about making out or whatnot. And this is something we can keep between ourselves versus when they come with the bigger stakes issue. You can and frankly must say at a certain point with a certain bucket of topics This is a really important thing for us to be talking about, but I'm going to begin the conversation with, I can't hold this information myself because I am concerned that this kid, fill in the blank, might hurt themselves or hurt someone else, right? There's this whole escalator that happens as they get older and their problems get more sophisticated and complicated that just because you have held their confidence in the past does not mean that you must going forward and they will not necessarily always expect you to. So I think it's helpful for us to begin our listening session by giving them guideposts about how much we're going to be able to hold versus how we're going to talk about it and think it through before we figure out who the next person we go to will be. And if it's about safety and not about judgment, I think that creates a, a really important line and distinction for kids. Yep. If our reaction is about 
I am a caring human being and somebody's safety is at risk. Yep. Rather than I don't approve of that kid's choices, that's a bad kid, I have to say something. Those are two very different reactions to potentially the exact same scenario. That's exactly right. And even if inside (laughs) you are judging that kid or that kid's adults, it is also about a safety issue, right? Drugs or sex, as two examples, purging, eating disorders, there's all sorts of ways in which it is both about safety and is about like, oh boy, that's not a good situation. So Carl, let's do a hard one. Okay. Let's do a hard one. Let's say your kid comes to you and says, I'm concerned so-and-so is using drugs, Okay. right? What does our reaction sound like? Okay. So let's start with like on a bottle of sunscreen, mm-hmm. let's start with the no list. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. all those ingredients yep. that are not contained within. So the very first thing that you should not do as the adult listener is judge the kid, which can be very hard, especially if it's a kid who you could have predicted five years ago, this conversation was going to happen. And yet, I think if we all relinquish exactly what you just described, Vanessa, which is this subconscious or conscious desire to judge the child, the family, the parents, the whatever, and we just let that go, that opens up the lines of communication tremendously. A child knows when you're judging another child. And can I just say that it's not a moral question with respect to, let's use the example of drugs, because we know that certain kids are at much greater risk for substance abuse, for addiction. We know because of their genetics, we know that certain kids are at risk because they are self-medicating due to mental health issues that are not being professionally addressed or medicated. They have adverse experiences in their lives, like their family structure is atypical or unstable. They're financially unstable. There's a very long, long laundry list of risk factors for kids, correct? That's exactly right. So when we look at these issues, and this is something that I'm working hard with my kids, when something comes up with another kid that is worrisome, I really am working with my kids to think about what is going on for that kid that is causing them to make these choices as opposed to this is a bad kid. Yes. And this kid is messing up and that means they're they're not a good human being. I, I'm really trying to get my family to a place which is, what is going on for this kid that is causing them to make these choices or be in these situations? Or just an acknowledgement that something might be going on. That's called empathy. Something might yes. be going on for this kid. And that's that's the muscle you want everyone in your home to flex. And by the way, kids can tell you in a second, Mm -hmm. oh, you know what? Actually, the parents are going through an awful divorce and they're arguing all the time. Or, oh, actually, they have an older sibling who's an addict who's been in out of rehab. Or, oh, I actually think they're depressed and they don't have anyone to talk to. Right. So I'm just, I'm doing this as something that I've worked on in my own home, which is, again, remove the judgment, move in the empathy And kids can sense when we are taking that approach and they know we are a more trustworthy resource if we can do that. So that's the top of the no list is what not to do there. 
The other big thing on the no list is, and this is something that I've been working on, do not make it about your own family, your Mm -hmm. own home, your own kid. So if a child goes to a trusted adult, a parent, a coach, a teacher, and talks about another child, this is not a Marsha Brady situation where it's a veiled discussion about themselves. It is, for the most part, about another child. If you can't get past your fear that this is really a veiled conversation about them, ask them, is this about so-and-so or is there something I should be concerned about with respect to you too? I want to know as we head into this conversation, because what ends up happening is when we worry that our kids are not talking about someone else, but they're talking about themselves, or when we worry that they're talking about someone else, but it also applies to them, we get very clouded in the way that we advise them. And so if you're confused, ask. And you can ask in a very kind and loving way, like, I want to give you the best advice I can give you. Can you help clarify for me? Is this something I need to worry about with respect to you? Or are we really just talking about so-and-so? And that really helps. By the way, sometimes kids are honest, sometimes they're not. And sometimes they think they're being honest. And really, there's more than one answer to that question. It is about so-and-so, but they have their own fears about what's happening to them. Body image is a great example. You know, you'll hear very frequently, especially from girls, but increasingly from boys, about kids who have body dysmorphia, eating issues, are not consuming food, are purging. And you're listening to this and you're thinking, am I worried about this other child or is my kid trying to tell me that something is going on for them? It's okay to try to define the terms and ask. So those are the two big no's. Don't judge and don't make it about your kid or the kid who is coming to you when it is not necessarily about them. But how do you handle it? What what are the things that you do do when someone comes and says, you know, I think this person is putting this thing into their body? The way I've always handled it is to try to collect as many facts as I can. I ask a lot of questions. And when my kids start to get annoyed with the number of questions I'm asking, and I can feel that, I will say, the only way I can give you good advice is for me to understand all the facts. So if there are things I'm not asking about, fill me in. If there are things that I need to know, and that opens the lines of communication as well. So you fact gather and you get a sense of, what is the scope of the issue? Is it that they heard this child talking about it or did they witness use? Is it that they are seeing behavior changes in this kid or they are seeing things in the kid that is creating anxiety for them because they're really worried? And once you gauge what their level of concern is and why they have that level of concern, Then you can go to what I anticipate, Vanessa, is the hardest part of your question, which is when a kid thinks another kid is putting something in their body that's causing them real harm and you are the adult receiving that information. I personally don't believe that information ends with you. I personally think that the very best way to manage that information is to communicate it to the adults who care for this kid. 
That is not always a perfect answer because you may not know the parents of the other kid. You may not have a way of reaching them. You may know the parents and know that it's a dangerous situation for the kid if you share with the parents. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that it has to be a parent. It can be a school counselor. If this is a kid in your school, it can be a therapist or a social worker who can help you walk you through it. But I think it's very important when it comes to drugs, especially especially in the world in which we live today with fentanyl and all sorts of terrifying things happening to the illicit drug supply, that you let the kid know, thank you for sharing. It is not safe for this information to end with me. So that gets to the crux of the issue, which is... Sometimes kids tell us stuff because they want us to carry the burden and they know we're going to say, hey, this kid is buying counterfeit prescription pills. I know that there's a 40% chance that one of those pills could have fentanyl in it and I need to prevent this kid from fentanyl poisoning. I need to speak to their adult, right? Sometimes they know that. Other times they're sharing with us information that They just want it to end there. And they're saying, no, 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 no. You can't tell it. Don't go to their parents. Don't go to the school. Don't go to wherever. You're violating my trust. I shared this with you, you know, in secrecy. And if you go on, I'm never going to tell you anything ever again. And this is the heart of the challenge. So, I have a couple of thoughts of where to go from there. I think, Cara, you and I are in slightly different positions because you are a pediatrician and you are a trained medical professional. And so there are, I think, angles and responsibilities that you have in a way that I don't have. Um, And people listening, depending on what your job is, you will have a different approach. But how do you respond to that as someone who is professionally you know, required to get this information to someone who can do something about it? I mean, for those of us who are mandatory reporters, it's a little bit of a crutch that we can use where we can say, I'm a mandatory reporter, I have to share this. But the kids still can feel like the rug was pulled out from underneath them. And sometimes it's a second or third conversation explaining why it's not safe to hold on to the information. Frankly, I think it's two different kinds of hard, but equally hard, whether you're a mandatory reporter or not, because the kids can sometimes feel that their trust is being violated. The way I would frame it is I would say, I have said, I don't feel like this information is safe. Just ending with me. We can talk about where the information should go next. And I am very open to your thoughts. We can talk about it right now. We can wait a little bit and gather our thoughts and talk about it. But The thing that's not going to happen is we're not going to end the conversation here with it dumped on me because this child is not safe, in my opinion. So that's how I've handled it. It actually, that approach of giving it a beat, and usually it's a a beat. There's usually a pause and there's a next conversation and it's, okay, I thought about it, mom, or, you know, doctor or whatever capacity I'm in. And I understand why you're saying this and it's why I came to you. And I don't want the parents to know, but you can tell the school counselor or I don't want, you know, this person to know, but I feel like, or, and then the conversation becomes, should I tell them or should you tell Mm -hmm. them? And how do you, so that's how I do it. How do you do it? I often start with asking my kids, 
if they've addressed this with their friends. And now I'm speaking generally. I'm not speaking specifically about drug use or alcohol use or sex, but like they might have a friend in a relationship and they're concerned about the dynamics or they might have a friend who's thinking about going and do something that's like dangerous. And I'll say, you're clearly concerned. Have you have you raised it with your friend? If you have, what have you said? Or have you raised it with one of your shared friends and have they had any success, right? Because ultimately our kids have to learn how to be loving, caring people to the the folks in their lives. And they have to practice caring for these people and looking out for them and having difficult conversations. And so I do like to start there. I also have offered myself up as a safe place for a kid to come if my kid's or the kids that I'm, because this comes up in workshops, this comes up in all sorts of settings with kids. You know, if they don't feel like this child has a safe place to go, I'll say, I am happy to be a resource and to help find them a safe adult to go to. So I have also offered a that great up. solution. And therefore, my kid is no longer in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I am now the recipient of the information from the child and can say, I'm available to help and to find you help. And therefore, my kid is out of the middle of the situation or the kid who's telling me about what's going on. Well, and when you describe it that way, which is, I think, a a very common path through all this, the thing that becomes so clear is the kid who first came to you to share the information often doesn't want it to end with you. They know that other child needs help. They are looking for a path through. And so more often than not, what exactly what you're describing lands in a very positive place for everyone. And sometimes kids give us information and it doesn't have to go anywhere in the moment, but we have a sense that this is going to be an ongoing thing and that our kid is potentially on the sidelines watching something worrying, concerning, challenging, and these are the moments, right? We don't have to go find another child help, but we need to continue to be a resource to our kid. And that conversation can sound like, hey, this seems like a really tough thing. I am here for you to come to, to continue to talk to about this. Hopefully things will get better and your friend will be okay. This is like a really common thing with eating disorders for kids, right? Where it's it can be a years long, many years long process of navigating disordered eating. And you can say, you're going to see a lot of stuff possibly. I am here as a resource if you have questions or things that you want to talk to me about. And I think the place to land is this. And it's kind of unexpected, frankly. I didn't think we were going to land here, but here we are. This conversation is one version of teaching kids how to be upstanders instead of bystanders. And it's, I think, appropriate. It's something I've never brought into the conversation, but I think it's appropriate. Listening to how you're describing things, Vanessa, I think it's appropriate to say to them, you are, by sharing with me, you're being an upstander. You're helping another kid get the help they need. And when we just take the information and we weigh the information, we know something needs to be done with that information, but we don't do anything, that's called being a bystander. And they know that language. They are being raised in a culture of being taught to be an upstander, not a bystander. And this is very much where this issue 
lands. And they're used to hearing about upstanders and bystanders in the context of bullying. And I think what this does is it reframes for them. And with older teens, listen, you're not going to use that language, right? Because they've been hit over the head with the term upstander. But you can use terminology like you're being a caring friend, you're being an empathetic human being. Like you can use more sophisticated language. But the point is that when you see someone in need, you do not just stand by and watch. You do something and it may be subtle and it may be gentle and it may be quiet, right? Being an upstander does not always mean standing on your soapbox and banging your fist. And it may mean going to an adult or some other human and finding a way through with the help of someone else. That's right. So this is a super hard topic. If people have specific scenarios that you would want us to weigh in on, we're happy to do that. We've really only scratched the surface of the many ways that this complicated issue comes up in caring for kids. But it's really important, ultimately, that kids know we can be a resource to them in moments of of struggle and confusion and, and worry. Thank you, Vanessa. Thanks, Cara. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myumla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.